0: Sometimes I think to myself, like, why wasn't I in the military? You know? Little tightly made beds around the corners, and then I'd be physically fit, and I'd be operating at maximum efficiency all the time. I don't
1: think you could deal with the yelling. Ugh.
0: I don't know. I think I—maybe now I couldn't. I think I could have,
1: though, had I started in young. No, this would have been the problem. You would have had too many boyfriends. (laughs) I mean, I don't see the problem in that. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mo Gap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Are you ready for this one? I think so. Excellent.
0: Are you going to tell me all of the gory details?
1: all the gory details about the murder of Betty Gore. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Creepers. It was June 13th, 1980, and Alan Gore was trying not to panic. It was uh, Friday the 13th, by the way. Ooh. And Alan had just arrived in St. Paul on a business trip, but his wife, Betty, wasn't answering the phone back home in Texas. Texas girl. Oh, yeah. This is a Texas story, and I did get some help from (gasps) Texas Texas Monthly. Monthly. Yes. These are my favorites. Yes. An article called Love and Death in Silicon Prairie by Jay Atkinson and John Bloom. Alan and Betty lived just outside of Dallas in this cluster of like these eight to 10 towns that had no name that people just called the country. It was actually where the sh- the estate from the show Dallas was filmed there down the street. They really didn't have names? Well, that's what Texas Monthly says. Okay. But several other articles, one article called it Wiley Texas and another article said it was Lucas Texas and Texas Monthly said it was just called the country and there were no names. So Okay, so big identity crisis all around. Big identity crisis. <laughs> It was the type of place where the school was a little red schoolhouse. Everyone spent their Sundays at a little chapel for church. Oh
0: my gosh, sign me up. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. They could be in the big city within half an hour, but they liked living in a place more slow-paced, more peaceful and innocent and safe.
0: Definitely the 80s. You can't get anywhere within 30 minutes down there now.
1: Yeah, no, you cannot. It's 30 miles still, but yeah. it's probably... <laughs> Alan thought maybe Betty was busy with their new baby, Bethany. But when he continued to try to reach her, he got worried. It was not like Betty to go MIA like that. She hated when Alan went out of town. She absolutely hated being left alone. And she wouldn't miss a chance to talk to him. Well, that's precious. Yeah. So he debated what to do. He thought he might be overreacting. There must be a reasonable explanation. Maybe she just left the house with the baby and would be back later. I can't imagine living in 1980 and not having a cell phone and not being able to like reach someone that mm-hmm. I really need to reach. And I'm worried about them, you know, Yeah. like I the mean, fact that they could just be gone, like they could have just gone to the store. Yeah. that but-
0: 1980. I mean, I had a pager in high school. Like I still right. had a pager. Like I still had to locate a cell phone or a telephone to call back and figure out what I was even getting paged about.
1: Right. But like that was you. Yeah, I know. okay. I don't That's think right. anybody else had a pager. No, in that wasn't
0: me. That was Louise.
1: <laughs> that
0: was Louise. Well, you know, my cell phone is how I got a nine hundred dollars cell phone bill, which is then how I got the job at the Waffle House, which is a story for another time. But is my it? very first cell phone bill is over nine hundred dollars, <gasps> and I immediately got my arm pulled into the car and drove into the nearest Waffle House location.
1: <laughs> Good my god (laughs) right but uh it led to so many great waffle house memories that is true i love how that's where she brings you yeah Mm -hmm. back on track back on track well bethany i hate or no al is that his name alan
0: Uh alan i hate to break it to you but something is up or else we would not be talking about you on this podcast so uh,
1: that's, that. Uh, yeah, that's logical thinking. And he started to feel the same way. So he called his neighbor, Richard Parker, and asked if he'd go next door to check on Betty. Richard was a little annoyed. He kind of felt put out, but he agreed to do it. He walked over, knocked on the door pretty hard a couple of times, but there was no answer. So he called Alan back and said, Betty must be out. Hmm. Alan thanked him, but his worries only grew. So he started calling around town, starting with Candy Montgomery. The Montgomerys were friends of the Gores, the kind of friends that meet up at church and babysit each other's kids and maybe later sleep with their husbands. Okay, yeah. Alan and Betty's older daughter, Elisa, had spent the night with the Montgomerys. Their kids were all friends.
0: I have a quick non-judgmental question. Sure. Is it Candy with a
1: C or a K? It is uh, Candy with a C and a Y. It's for it's short for Candice. Her real name is Candace. Oh, okay. So she chose to go by she chose Candy. to go by Candy. Okay. Yes. All right. Go mm-hmm. ahead. That was a personal choice she made. Are you making a flowchart?
0: Don't worry about me. Mind your business.
1: <laughs> Candy hadn't seen Betty since she'd gone over there earlier that day to pick up Elisa's bathing suit, and she said Betty seemed fine when she saw her. She didn't know where else she could be. Alan tried to tell himself that everything was okay. He went down to the motel restaurant to eat dinner, and by the time he got back, it was 10 o'clock, well past the normal time Betty would have been in bed, but she was still not answering the phone. Oh, man. I know it's before this time, but find my friends, you know? Yeah. He called Richard one more time to ask if he could check if Betty's car was in the garage. Richard told him the garage was open, the light was on, and there was only one car in the garage. Alan started to think something was wrong with the baby. He called around to hospitals, but none of them had seen Betty or the baby.
0: I feel like that happens a lot in movies and TV shows of like if someone, you know, you can't locate someone, that's something that you do. Is that a real thing? Like what I call around hospitals, and be like, do you have someone there with by the name of Kristen Williams? And then they'd be like, that's the world's most common name. And hang up. <laughs> but
1: you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I had to do that for my friends <laughs> one time. I was calling Jail's. And hospitals. Do they give, I mean, do they tell you that? I feel like they can't release that information. I know the jails told me, like, we don't have anyone here by that name. Mm. I don't think I was in charge of calling hospitals. So please tell me more about that story later. But I just don't think (laughs) that I would have ever thought to do that. Alan started to think something was wrong with the baby. He called around to hospitals, but none of them had seen Betty or the baby. Meanwhile, Alan's panic had started to rub off on the neighbor, Richard, so he decided to actually go up to the house again to check it out, and that's when he realized there wasn't just one car in the garage. He hadn't been able to see it from where he'd been looking, but they had a Volkswagen Rabbit that was pulled farther into the garage. Both cars were there. He walked into the garage, but the door to the utility room was locked, and he just felt something was wrong. Yeah, because who sleeps with a garage door open? That's creepy. Well, and she hasn't been answering the phone all day. He thought she was out. No, she's home. Her car is there. So he ran back to the phone to call Alan and told him something was wrong. The other car actually was in the garage, but no one is answering at the house. Alan told him to get into the house however he could. He then called the neighbor across the street, Jerry, and asked if he could help. Jerry's wife said, you're not going out there alone call Lester. So he called his friend Lester. Oh, my God. Called to- the police. Yeah, that's the person they did not call. Okay. So right. Lester comes out and together they go with a flashlight. They meet up with Richard and they try to figure out how to get in the house. Richard had actually been the real estate agent that sold the Gores their home, and he thought Mm. he might even still have the key to the house. None of the keys worked on the utility door, so they walked around to the front of the house, and that's when Richard realized the front door was unlocked. (gasps) Mm. It gave him an even more foreboding feeling. They opened the door and started calling for Betty, flipping on lights as they searched through the house. Nothing really seemed unusual until they got to the bathroom and saw a dark substance on the walls. Not a good sign.
0: <gasps> never, never a good sign, whether that be blood or mold or anything else. <laughs> right. Dark substance, never a good thing.
1: Wait, where's the babe? How old was the babe? She was like a baby babe. A though. year.
0: Infant. Okay.
1: Yeah, about a year. So they walk into a bedroom and flip on the lights, and immediately Bethany, the baby, starts wailing. Her face was red. She's alive. Her voice was hoarse as if she'd been crying for hours. She was dirty. Her skin was stained with her own excrement, but she was unharmed. Richard quickly scooped her up, ran back to his house, and called the police.
0: so glad bethany's okay like i'm just
1: i just started like having tears in my eyes i know i know
0: oh i've got to get it together
1: jerry and lester stayed behind and continued to search the house for betty nothing in the master bedroom or any of the other bedrooms they went through the living room to the other half of the house and that's when they started to notice a smell (sighs) they walked through the kitchen and toward the utility room door lester opened it and then immediately closed it and he <gasps> told Jerry not to go any farther. What's behind door number one? He hadn't actually seen Betty. All he'd seen was thick blood covering the utility room floor.
0: When you say utility room, you mean like washer and dryer stuff? Yeah, it sounds it like, like there was closet? a laundry
1: room attached to the garage. Oh, you know, so like got it, it, it would lead yes. out to the garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first house had that. Okay, yeah, but it was where the washer and dryer was. Yes, got it. Okay. Lester went for the phone, but just as he was about to pick it up to call the police, Alan called. They told him the baby was fine, but it looked like Betty had been shot.
0: But they hadn't seen Betty. They're just trying to like.
1: No, I think he knew there was a body in there.
0: Yeah, and he just he didn't see said it. Something.
1: I, but maybe he felt it on the. I, he, I think he knew she was in there. Yeah, and then he just closed the door. He didn't. And then see just kind of said, "Okay, yeah, yeah. she'd been shot." Yeah. Right. In his hotel room in St. Paul, Alan didn't know what to do. He was confused and disoriented. He called Candy Montgomery again to tell her it looked like Betty had been shot. In fact, Candy did it. Candy's phone wouldn't stop ringing. <sighs> Everyone in town was calling to talk about Betty. No one could believe what had happened. And then more news started to come in. Oh, uh, you you're being shady. I can see your face. <laughs> oh, candy. Betty hadn't died by gunshot, a possible suicide like everyone had first assumed. Betty had been killed by an axe. Oh, oh, it's not where I thought you were
0: going. And no, not everyone thought. I, I... <laughs> I knew something was up. (laughs) I think it was candy
1: in the utility room with an axe. Tell me I'm wrong. Open the little envelope. Someone had struck Betty in the face 40 (sighs) times with an axe.
0: What is it with the multiple things, you know, like 193 Mm -hmm. from our other episode and in Mm -hmm. Lululemon it was like 300 something. 300
1: something, yeah. You know,
0: one or two gets the job done. (sighs) It really
1: does. I mean, I—I I mean, I don't know. I'm not speaking right. from
0: experience.
1: <laughs> you would hope. Police thought it might be some deranged escaped mental patient. The town was racked with fear. Stores started selling out of guns, and locksmiths were all over changing locks for people. The police <laughs> looked at Alan because, of course, he's the husband. He's always the number one suspect. That fools across the country, though. Yes. And the one thing the police had to go on was a bloody shoe print. So when a friend called to tell Candy that, she grabbed her garden shears and began to cut through the soles of the sandals she'd been wearing earlier that day (gasps) until there was no pattern left on the shoe. Then she threw the shoes away in her outside garbage can. Candy, what are you up to? The police continued combing through evidence and suspects. They questioned Alan repeatedly. As the husband, he was the prime suspect, and his alibi wasn't quite as airtight as you'd think. His flight hadn't been until four that afternoon. But Mm. he'd been working the rest of the day, and police soon were able to cross him off their list. So police turned their attention to the person who had admitted to being the last to see Betty alive, Candy Montgomery. Mm. But... Her story always checked out, and the police could see no reason that Candy, the pretty little housewife, would brutally kill someone with an axe. That is, until Alan finally admitted something. <gasps> Several months before, he and Candy had ended a seven-month-long affair. <sighs> that that gave police motive, and they arrested Candy.
0: Oh, oh my gosh, this is like an episode of... I don't know. I was going to say something like Real Housewives, but I've never Desperate seen episode Housewives. of that. Desperate <laughs> Housewives. I, I've never seen either one of those. Does any
1: of this happen on that? Mm-hmm. Probably. I don't know about an axe, but I'm, yes. Candy, so. Candy's married to Pat. Yes. Yeah, so let's learn learn a little bit more about Candy. And Peppermint Patty. And Peppermint, oh my God. Cotton Candy and Peppermint Patty. I mean, yes. Candy and Pat Montgomery got married in the early 70s. He was an electrical engineer and she was a secretary. She was blonde and petite and had grown up as a military brat, giving her a certain sense of wanderlust. She had a really easy rapport with people and she had learned early on the power women could have over men.
0: Yes, sis she spelled her name with a Y. Let the record show for anyone that might have forgotten. That's when I first became okay, suspicious Okay, but like, of would her.
1: you prefer it with an
0: I? No, but here's the thing. When I asked you about her and you were like, yeah, she spells it with a C and a Y. And that's a personal choice. And I already knew you were out on her. <laughs> I was taking notes with my pen and my pad of paper. I'm getting good at this. We're gonna have to change our intro. I may not be a movie. <laughs> I'm the true crime novice who's catching on to Kristen's bullshit.
1: Candy and Pat moved to the country in 1977 with a son and a daughter. Pat was making really good money at his job, like $300,000 a year in today's money. Not old-timey money from the last episode. <laughs> yeah, old-timey money from our Bell Gunness episode. Old-timey in that it was in 1977, and it was $70,000 then, so... okay. I had to do that inflation calculation. (laughs) I love that you have an inflation calculation,
0: like, favorited on your Google homepage, though, like a big nerd.
1: Yeah, and I found one that went all the way back to 1900, so. So Candy stayed home with the kids, and at first she loved it. Like, she loved the decorating, she loved the housewife stuff, but after a while, she was bored out of her mind. The Montgomerys and the Gores had met at church. They'd been going to the same church for a while at that point, and they were all friends, The Montgomery's daughter, Jenny, was really good friends with the Gore's daughter, Elisa. Now, there was a volleyball court on the church grounds, and one day in 1978, a group was playing volleyball. Candy and Alan went for the ball at the same time and ran into each other. No one else really noticed it. They got up and continued playing. It was basically a non-incident, but not for Candy. Mm -mm. After that little bump, Candy couldn't stop one thought from repeating itself in her mind. Alan Gore smells sexy as hell (laughs) from bumping volleyballs to bumping cheeks candy had been telling her friends for weeks that she wanted to have an affair
0: she didn't care real
1: yeah she didn't care with who (laughs) as long as as long as it was someone that could shake up her boring life and give her transcendental fireworks
0: there's a time and place for that and it's called college candy
1: yeah i agree this is what happens when you don't sow your wild oats, okay? Mm-hmm. At first glance, it didn't really seem like Alan would be the one. He didn't. Ex- he didn't exactly scream, "Take me to Ecstasy Land." Yeah, and he's married, <laughs> with his receding hairline, his horn rim glasses, and dad bod. Ew! But you just explained everyone from that time. I think. <laughs> right. <sighs> Especially since everybody in this town seemed to all work for places like Texas Instruments, so. (laughs) Get your TI-83 discount.
0: I'm picturing, (laughs) you know who I'm picturing, though, before you ruined it with that? Uh Uh-huh. I was picturing David Hasselhoff and Pamela Anderson from Baywatch. And then you- Oh, God. (laughs) Ruined it. No. Because David Hasselhoff is so fine. (laughs) Oh, God. I mean, he was back when I tried to sneak watch Baywatch and my- no, TV do you know I had the
1: biggest crush on? His son in the show, Hobie. Hobie was... I don't know what any of that is, of course, but... Did you not watch? But you just told me you watched Baywatch. You're not even going to get my Baywatch reference? Uh, yeah. I don't, but he, uh, hey, everyone, I
0: watched Baywatch. I feel like that should score me some, like, pop culture points. No, I know who Pamela Anderson is. David Hasselhoff.
1: Congratulations. <sighs> Moving on. Moving on. But... Alan was pretty great in every other way. He had this great sense of humor. He was really involved in their church and sang in the choir. And he organized sports teams. And apparently he smelled sexy as hell. Is that a direct quote? Yep. Love Texas Monthly. I don't know if it said as hell, but it definitely said she thought he smelled sexy. That is something because most men don't, I feel like. Especially when you're playing volleyball. Yeah. Well, well the, the men 70s. we grew up with really thought Axe was like the way to go, you know. <laughs> Wait. Oh, my God. I have to tell you a funny story. <laughs> when we were home
0: for, I don't know where we were. Maybe we were in Florida. I don't know. We were with Russell's parents. And his mom was like, <laughs> his mom was like, hey, I got you some Axe body spray. And Russell was like, in what world do you think I wear Axe <laughs> body spray? And I was dying. And it was the joke for the longest time. And so sometimes, every once in a while, I make an ex-body spray joke about my 32 year old (laughs)
1: boyfriend. They are good jokes. (laughs) And, you know, the more Candy thought about it, the more it just made sense that Alan would be the one for this affair she wanted to have. The more I thought about it, my neighbor's husband was a great candidate for a marital affair. Right. In fact, she thought she'd be better for Alan than his wife because Betty didn't seem to be interested in doing all these things that Alan liked to do. Like what? I think they were just really involved in church and Betty just kind of seemed like a homebody more. Mm -hmm. So she and Alan started getting super flirty. Candy became convinced that Alan wanted her as much as she began to want him. And one night she struck up the courage to tell him. She saw him getting into his car after choir practice one night and she jumped in the passenger side of his car and told him how attracted she was to him. She then immediately got out of the car and ran away.
0: Ooh, a little hard to get.
1: (laughs) alan couldn't believe there was a woman out there interested in him sexually (laughs) i mean yeah and he was pretty happy that it happened to be candy the most attractive woman in their church
0: pamela anderson
1: yeah betty and alan had been married for eight years they met when he was I know. They'd met when he was her math professor, got married in 1970, and had a pretty typical marriage up to that point. They moved to the suburbs of Dallas, had a baby, Elisa, and a few years later, Betty started teaching at an elementary school. Ugh. She really didn't like the job, but she kept plugging away. And in 1978, she started talking to Alan about having their second child. She wanted to plan it perfectly so that she could have the baby in the summer. And so she wouldn't have to take any time off of work. And I'm like, yes. girl, you're doing it all wrong. No, you plan it so you have the baby in March, and then you can take maternity leave for the rest of the year and have the summer off. Girl, you know how hard it is to plan for a sub. It doesn't matter. You get five months off with your baby instead of two. Mm. Despite planning for a new baby, when Alan saw Candy a week later, he asked her what she had in mind. She asked him, point blank, would you be interested in having an affair?
0: No. No. No, you would not, Alan. The answer is Uh, no.
1: At first, Alan hemmed and hawed. He said he couldn't. He loved Betty. She was pregnant again. (laughs) But a few weeks later, he called Candy and asked if she'd like to have lunch with him and talk more about their conversation from before. So they're really like, this is a premeditated affair. It's not just like a... This is the most premeditated affair you have ever heard of in your whole life like
0: like contractual lunches
1: yes they met up at an auto repair shop in mckinney which is actually where my grandma lived i know where that's at yeah he gave her a birthday card that said for the last of the red hot lovers and when she opened it there was a pack of red hots in there which is totally cheesy but (laughs) apparently she loved it They went to a tea house and talked about everything except themselves. Pat, Betty, their kids, Alan's work, Candy's creative writing class she was taking. Pat had never really shown any interest in her class, but Alan was interested.
0: Wait, can we back up a second? They Uh exchanged cards and an auto body. Like, why didn't they just, why did they meet there and then go eat? Very bothered by that.
1: I I have absolutely no idea why they met at their auto repair shop instead of the tea house. I have no idea.
0: Yeah, I know that those are small details, but I just need you to know that I'm getting very annoyed that in each case there's like some stupid ass meeting place. Like in the collar bomb highs, why are we meeting at this like um you know this the gas station? station? And then um, trailer Terry, instead of just going to his trailer, they like go to a parking lot.
1: Like, right? That one didn't make sense.
0: Right? All you aspiring criminals. Quit picking stupid ass meeting places because you're getting on my nerves. The end. Yeah,
1: I see your point. Then the conversation finally turned to what the hell they were doing there. They both decided no one could ever know. Neither of them wanted to hurt their spouse, but they were both looking for something else that they weren't getting at home. And instead of actually communicating that with their spouses, they looked to each other to fill that void. But they decided not to start right away. They wanted to make sure they'd weighed all the risks beforehand. <laughs> what is like I said, this affair had to be the most meticulously planned out affair in history. They spent a month figuring out every little detail, when they would do it, what they would do if someone saw them, how they would Ugh. keep from getting emotions involved, because that always works. Yeah. But their affair from the beginning was emotional. They just didn't realize it. it. It wasn't even based on sex. It was on the attention that they were looking for that their partners weren't giving them.
0: Right. Which they could have solved with communication, which my poor boyfriend this podcast. Now I'm going to go downstairs and be like, hey, can we talk? <laughs> I just want to make sure that I'm giving you enough attention. He's gonna be like, Jesus Christ, did you record again with Kristen? <laughs>
1: They looked forward to phone calls every day, and they started having lunch near Pat's office in Dallas. He realized that he could make calls to Candy, take her to lunch, and still go home to Betty with this big secret and be normal. So he started easing into this idea of a full-on affair. But Candy was growing impatient. Like, she wanted the affair to start already. Damn it. Damn, girl, me too. Let's (laughs) get a move on. So she threw a Hail Mary. She invited Alan to lunch at her house. When Alan arrived, he saw she'd put up this giant piece of butcher paper that just had a pros and cons list on it. And she said, Let's talk it out. They went through each line on the list ad nauseum before finally Alan agreed to do it. But there were rules they would have to follow things like they can't get emotionally involved, they would share all the expenses. They could only meet up on weekdays, and Candy would be in charge of fixing lunch for them and getting the motel room since Alan would be working. <laughs> okay. They, ag- they agreed on all the rules and set a date for the affair to begin, December 12th, <laughs> 1978.
0: <laughs> I. This is really sad, but I'm kind of low-key living for it. It reminds me of the movie Have You Watched To All The Boys I Loved Before i terrible? have not because
1: i can't i cannot handle secondhand cringe like i can, i get so embarrassed for characters like i can't watch it
0: <laughs> your secondhand embarrassment is that mm-hmm. intense oh well you should watch it it's cute
1: the morning of candy ran around getting ready she dropped her daughter at school her son at daycare she made a special lunch she packed it all up picnic style and slipped some lingerie into her purse oh. She drove into Richardson, the suburb of Dallas that Alan worked in, which is also where my Grammy's BFF, Lee, lives. Oh, shout out Lee. Yeah, shout out Lee. They're amazing. Anyways, I'm sure Lee knew nothing of this affair happening right in her own Definitely not.
0: She sounds way too couth for these people. Yeah, she really is.
1: Candy found the Continental Inn and registered under her own name like a real amateur. And this was the point of no return. Alan arrived, and the affair started like they all do, with satisfying yet very brief sex. They showered afterwards at Candy's insistence so Alan wouldn't smell like her, and they both left, (laughs) excited for this new adventure. Yeah, yay. Yeah. Yeah, I think. (laughs) I don't know. I feel weird about it all. It's... It's not great, you know, it's not great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Their next rendezvous was a week later. Candy didn't want to spring for the $29 room at the Continental, so she moved to the Como, quite a come down from the Continental and very much a rent-by-the-hour type of place. <gasps> oh. But that's where they continued their affair for the next several months. It wasn't the sex for Alan so much as it was the relaxation. The Texas <laughs> Monthly article says that this was the only time during his week where he didn't have to worry about Betty and trying to make her happy, something that had seemed like an impossible task. But I really don't think Alan gave a crap about making Betty happy at all. Yeah. And I think he's probably one of the sol- most selfish people I've ever heard of. But they both felt alive again. So I guess it's all okay. Okay.
0: Sadly, he definitely is selfish. But sadly, because I talked to you once a week, he's probably one of the least terrible characters I've heard of recently.
1: So far. Oh, no. <gasps> but after the first two or three times, Candy realized the sex wasn't really going to get any better. She started to <laughs> realize that Alan wasn't capable of giving her the fireworks that she was looking for. But she also felt like she might be starting to fall in love with him. And she started to have second thoughts.
0: No, wait. So she's having subpar sex, but she's like falling in love?
1: Yes. Okay. And this had probably been inevitable because all that time spent planning the affair had given to too much talking, too much getting to know each other. They looked forward to their daily phone calls too much. They started buying each other cards and little thoughtful gifts. During yeah. one rendezvous, they just sat talking the whole time. They became more like best friends than secret lovers. Right. She told Alan she thought the relationship was getting too serious. She thought about him way too much and was worried about going too far. Alan, for his part, didn't think he was capable of falling in love with Candy. But he needed her right then, and he thought they had something special. The affair hadn't changed much about his life outside of it, and he was perfectly happy continuing on. Mm. Where's Pat? Pat never really makes uh, a bunch of appearances, to be honest. But as as their affair continued, so did Betty's pregnancy. When she was seven months pregnant, Alan told Candy he thought they needed to take a break until the baby came. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. He knew he could just never forgive himself if Betty started going into labor pains and he was unreachable at the coma with Candy because he's such a great, thoughtful guy. (laughs) Yeah. So nice. So nice of him to consider that. Yeah. Candy wasn't actually that chuffed about taking a break. The sex wasn't that great. And she was getting tired of waking up early to make lunches on their meetup days. Yeah, like, I'm not trying to make lunch for you. I know, and she's making these, like, really extravagant, full-on picnic lunches, all this stuff. Alan had come to expect the notes and gifts, too, and the whole thing was just way too big of a hassle. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine – But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, PROSE proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. PROSE is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's p-r-o-s-e.com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. So they took a break and Candy decided to Throw a surprise baby shower for Betty with all the members of the church choir. Oh, no, she did not. She did. And it went perfectly. Candy was excited to know that she didn't feel uncomfortable around Betty. Cute. So cute. Yeah. Bethany was born soon after and Alan and Betty felt closer than ever in the week after her birth. According to Alan, of course, Betty cannot be asked. Yeah, she's not available for a comment. And the affair started to dwindle. Betty and Alan went to Kansas to see Betty's parents and let them meet the new baby. And when they got back, Alan and Candy had plans to see each other the next day, a Friday. But mm-hmm. when Alan told Betty that he was going to go to work the next day, she said she wanted him to stay home and help with errands and some things around the house. And she also started to get a bit suspicious of just why he needed to go to work so badly. So Alan knew he had to cancel the meetup with Candy, so he made an excuse to call her, saying it was something about the choir, and made the call in the other room. Candy was really upset because she was about to leave to go on a trip with Pat, and she argued with Alan for a bit, but he finally- sure, managed- packed that lunch, too, you know. <laughs> Probably. But he finally managed to calm her down and end the call, but when he went back to Betty, she said, Gee, that sure was a long conversation. Oh, Mm. and i think she knew she knew triflers she knew. trifle in good for trifle. nothing good for nothing type of brother <laughs> triflers need not apply from our bell gunness episode if anybody wants to check it out <laughs> <laughs> betty meanwhile was deteriorating she started mm. withdrawing she was becoming depressed She started complaining about pains in her neck and shoulders, and she got a prescription to help, but Alan thought it was all stress-related. I'm like, yeah, Alan, stress of you. Yeah, Alan. Yeah. She'd also had postpartum depression, but since this was 1980, they really didn't do much for her about it. Yeah. Alan ended up taking this better job at a new company, and the job switch meant that he couldn't meet up with Candy anymore. He told her and Candy saw the inevitable end of the relationship. Candy told him that she wanted to meet up just once more. They had sex, described as quick and unsatisfying, and then spent one and a half hours discussing the end of the affair. I wonder for this
0: article, who is like giving the report on the sex? Like, who are they asking? Like, I how think was Alan it? And, and they're and like, candy. pretty unsatisfying.
1: <laughs> I'd yeah. be pissed. I know it was Candy because it was quick and unsatisfying to her. Alan always thought it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> for people who had spent a month planning the damn thing, I'm not surprised they had to put so much thought into the end of it the next time they met up they didn't even bother with the motel they just spread a picnic out at a park in north dallas candy told alan she loved him so much and didn't know if she could make it if they broke up but alan said he thought it would be good for them and betty wanted to go to this seminar called marriage encounter that some of their friends had gone to that had really helped their marriage and he thought it could help Candy said marriage encounter would be the end of them. And Alan said, oh, no, let's just see what happens. Wait, but. mm -hmm. So they're like
0: flip flopping back and forth on what they want to do. It seems like. Oh,
1: constant, constant. It was constantly like Candy wanted it to end, but then she loved him. And then. uh,
0: Yeah, I'm over them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Marriage encounter ended up being an incredible experience for the couple, for um, Alan and Betty. It helped them communicate in a way they'd never had before, and they felt closer than ever. They were able to be totally open and honest with each other, save, of course, for the tiny detail of Candy Montgomery's place in their marital problems. And who was babysitting for the weekend? Why, none other than the Montgomery's. Oh, when they came to pick up the kids, Candy asked Alan how it went, and he said it had been really good for them. And Candy asked what that meant, and Alan said he didn't know. They met up the next day to talk, and Candy said she felt Alan was leaving it all up to her to actually say the words, because of course he was, because he's a chicken shit. So Candy said she wouldn't do it anymore. She wouldn't call him. She wouldn't try to see him. She wouldn't bother him anymore. I call bullshit. (laughs) They both cried over the ending of the relationship, but, but Alan was so glad she'd been the one to end it. That way, he didn't have to be the one to feel guilty about it. Candy knew she would miss Alan. She would miss talking to him. She would miss feeling like there was somebody in her life who really listened to her. But she was also really glad that she wouldn't have to make any more picnic lunches. Yeah. But less than a year later, Candy was arrested for Betty's murder. (gasps) She denied the charges and was quickly released on bail. Their church really rallied around the Montgomerys. Like, everyone knew there was absolutely no way Candy committed this murder. The whole thing was completely absurd. Cards started pouring in from all over, people wanting Candy to know she had support and to hang in there. Candy replied to every single one of them. Of course she did. She was insistent that she hadn't had anything to do with the murder, She said that the morning of June 13th, she'd gone to drop her kids and Elisa off at Vacation Bible School. The family planned to see Star Wars that night, and her daughter Jenny really wanted Elisa to come with them, which Elisa, again, is Betty and Alan's oldest daughter. Elisa had swim lessons later that afternoon, though, but Candy figured she could just take Elisa to her swim lesson so she could come to the movie with them. So instead of calling, Candy just swung by Betty's to make sure it was okay they keep Elisa one more night and to pick up her swimsuit. But this is where her memory gets a little hazy. The next thing she could remember was she's back in her car. The middle toe on her left foot is bleeding really badly, and her jeans are soaking wet and smelled like fabric softener. Uh okay.
0: Tell me more about that.
1: So she convinced herself that she'd cut her toe on the storm door at her house. That's what she told herself the entire time she drove back home. And when she got home, she quickly stripped off her clothes and washed them, wrapped a Band-Aid around her toe and took a shower where she noticed a cut on her head right at the hairline. It was impossible to put a Band-Aid on it. So she just cleaned it and hoped for the best. And there actually was evidence later on that she actually had taken a shower at Betty's what that's so weird yes cleaned off there she got dressed again and put on sneakers something very unlike her she usually always wore sandals like moi like me Uh uh-huh and then she left to pick up the kids from the church she ran into a friend at the church and gave her a very detailed rundown of everything she'd done that day, almost like she was building an alibi for herself or something. Sure. She said she'd lost track of time when she'd gone into Plano to go to Target so she could get a Father's Day card, but her watch had stopped and she hadn't realized she was running so late. So she didn't even end up going into Target. No. Let me see those Target receipts. Oh, she didn't even make oh, she, it. She, she didn't, didn't even go in. in. Yeah. No. Yeah. Then she walked into the church being very careful not to make it look like she was limping. She went into the bathroom to try to stop the bleeding on her forehead. But even after the bleeding stopped, she could still feel the blood pouring down her face. And it just reminds me oh, Was that me of, like, bad of a cut? No, I think it was just a phantom. Oh, it reminds oh. me of like Lady Macbeth, you know, with the out, out, damn spot. Yeah, see, pop culture, I've read that. <laughs> Got my Macbeth <laughs> reference. Candy just kept reminding herself it was a day like any other day. And pretty soon she literally held no memories of what had actually happened that day at Betty's house. Candy hired a lawyer, a guy from her church named Don Crowder. And Don knew he had to get Candy to remember what happened that June 13th. So he decided to hire a psychiatrist in Houston to unlock all these memories. Like a hypnosis thing? Like uh-huh. one of those? Ooh. Yep. And unlock them, he did. Oh, he sure did. The trial came around in October 1980, just four months after the murder. And this took place in the Collin County Courthouse in McKinney, which is where my grandma lived. And this is just like another day of me wishing I could call her and ask her if she like followed the case. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure she did, though. Seats in the courtroom were the hottest ticket in town. And everyone was a Twitter over what would happen. Not on Actual Twitter, though. No, they were not on Twitter. They were a Twitter. A Twitter. Yeah. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Did Candy do it? Why? If not her, who? Questions. Of course she did it. When Crowder came out to give his opening statement, everyone was shocked to hear that Candy's defense would be self-defense. Wait. She was going to say she'd killed Betty in self-defense defense of what well she testified at her own trial and i'll tell you exactly what she said she didn't give off a great impression she been she had been coached extensively but she came off cool and aloof not at all the easygoing, friendly person that she was. But she gave the story of what happened that Friday the 13th when Betty Gore had been murdered. A story pieced together from several hypnotherapy appointments and conveniently shows Candy in the best possible light under the circumstances.
0: Yeah, so he like unlocked all the memories and then like rewrote them. Uh, uh-huh. To be like... You know, she was the only
1: one there in that utility room that day. She is the only one who truly knows what happened. And this is what she said. Oh, can't wait. So she said she had stopped off at Betty's to pick up Elisa's swimsuit. And when she got there, Betty seemed kind of annoyed. She hadn't been expecting Candy until noon. And it looked like she'd just put Bethany down for her mid morning nap. Candy asked Betty if it was all right if Elisa came with them to see to see Star Wars that night. And Candy would take Elisa to her swim lesson. She just needed to pick up her swimsuit. Betty said that that was fine and invited Candy in. She told Candy that Elisa needed to be rewarded with peppermints if she put her head under the water at her swim lesson. So she gave her some peppermints to use for that. And Candy (laughs) agreed and said she had to run. She still needed to get some errands done before picking the kids up from church. Seems like
0: a terrible idea. Candy while someone's swimming peppermint pepperm-
1: also- 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 that take forever to it's not like a treat like you know like yeah a- like a gummy you gotta suck up- yeah
0: well uh, with the chlorine and the peppermint okay yeah because you know little kids are getting
1: chlorine all in their mouth all the water in their mouth right right but then betty said candy are you having an affair with alan <laughs> oh candy froze and said no she wasn't but betty said but you did Didn't you? Yes. So Candy admitted to the affair, but she said it had been a long time ago. And then she said that Betty excused herself from the table, walked into the utility room, and came back holding an axe by the handle. An axe. An axe. uh Who keeps an axe in their laundry
0: room? Apparently. Who keeps an axe? Period. Especially
1: in Texas. It's not like you're chopping firewood. So I don't know why they had an axe. Yeah. But she came back with the axe and told Candy to stay away from Alan. Candy was really weirded out, but she wasn't scared. The way Betty was holding the axe seemed more awkward than threatening, but she wanted to get out of there. She told Betty under the circumstances it was probably best if she just dropped Elisa off and after she picked the kids up, but Betty said no, to keep Elisa until the next day because she didn't want to see Candy again, Ever. Oh, okay. Betty said she'd get a towel from the bathroom and Candy could get the swimsuit off the washer. She's still just holding the axe, just having No, I think with- she had set it down by the utility room at this point. Okay. At the utility room door, Betty handed Candy the towel and told her not to forget the peppermints for Elisa. And Candy said she noticed that her cha- her face had changed from just full of rage like it had been earlier to pained. And guilt suddenly struck Candy, and she told Betty how sorry she was, and immediately the rage seemed to come back into Betty full force. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have brought it back up, Candy. She started screaming about how Candy couldn't have him. She grabbed the axe, rushed at Candy, who said how stupid this was that she didn't even want Alan. They both wrestled for control over the axe, and as they did, the blade sliced across Candy's forehead. She begged Betty to stop, pressing her hand against the wound on her head, and when she looked up, Betty had raised the axe above her head, ready to bring it down on Candy, but she missed. <sighs> the axe landed square on the linoleum, bounced, and then landed on Candy's toe, slicing it. Oh, God, I,
0: that, mm. Uh-huh. And that, people, is why dueling axes shouldn't be a thing.
1: Right. Though though I really do want to go to those places where you can throw the axe. That's what
0: I'm saying. Dueling or flying. I've done it twice. And those suckers do bounce.
1: Yeah, but you're far enough away, right? You can't wear open-toed shoes. That's why you can't wear open-toed shoes. Okay. Still. Your (laughs) Nikes
0: aren't going to protect you from an axe.
1: From an axe bouncing back? Both women were now full of rage, and they fought and fought and fought over the axe until Candy finally got the upper hand. Without thinking, she raised the axe and brought it crushing onto the back of Betty's head. Thinking she'd killed her, she dropped the axe and went for the door, but Betty wasn't dead. She came after her, slamming her body against the door. She grabbed for the axe. Candy pleaded with her to let her go, but Betty said, I can't. And I would just like to. Say this here that I, it might exist somewhere. I don't know. I didn't see anything in my research, in the articles that I read, that said anything about whether or not the crime scene matched up with, like, it didn't look like they had taken forensic evidence at all. It didn't Nothing. seem like there was any forensic experts in there saying, like, yes, this story matches this crime scene. I didn't see anything. I, but I mean nothing. there would be
0: things to check like was
1: there what did the axe like yes. hit the linoleum did what because you know. the thing that made me think about it was that her 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 slamming her body onto the door after she had been axed mm-hmm. in the head obviously she'd have blood all over was there blood on the door that showed that she had slammed her body onto there like just I and I don't know I don't know I don't have that answer I just I guess I'm like kind of confused too of how
0: you said okay so like Betty was or not Betty um, Candy was the last person to see her and like said you know when she left she was alive and then all of a sudden she comes to this court this trial and now she's like oh I did it now Mm -hmm. I did it but it was in Mm self-defense so like Mm -hmm. that whole alibi I made up does she come out and say like Mm -hmm. I lied about all that because Mm -hmm. this is crazy to me.
1: Yes, she does. So they started circling each other. Candy made a few rushes for the utility room that led to the garage, but Betty stopped her. Blood was pouring from Betty's head. Betty grabbed Candy's hair and Candy slipped in the pool of blood. Betty tried to bring the axe down on her, but she was too weak. Candy kept telling Betty that she did not want Alan to please just let her go while they continued to fight over the axe. They played tug of war over it for a while until Candy finally got the upper hand, and then, in pure unadulterated hate at the woman that had put her in this position, she brought the axe down over and over and over again until she couldn't any longer. Forty Candy, on Betty.
0: Mm-hmm. That's my issue. Well, I mean, my issue is the whole thing. Forty-one
1: times. Forty-one you need times to do in do that total. Forty-one times, mm-hmm. even though it was in self-defense. Betty's heart continued to beat for forty of them. Wait, how do you know that? How did they know that? Well, because of what I know about, from what I learned in the Lululemon episode, I think it's because of the way that the blood pools in the wound. You can mm. see if there was blood pumping or okay. not. This is one of those things where I ask you me ask me these questions, I know, it's and, like then the skull and then you expect Yeah, do you just expect me to say, I don't know? (laughs) Yeah, kind of. (laughs) Kind of, yeah, I do. When Candy was was done telling her story, several jurors were dabbing their eyes. Several were still not convinced. They wanted to see the prosecutor go really hard on her to find any cracks in her story. But the prosecutor did not go hard, and Candy repeated her story with no inconsistencies. She was able to add in a few small details. Her trial continued for several days after her testimony. They brought in experts to say that Candy was suffering from a dissociative reaction from childhood trauma and that when Betty first touched Candy, it triggered memories that made her snap. But they didn't say anything about bringing in anybody to match the crime scene to this story. The jury deliberated for four and a half hours after closing arguments. Because it could be true, right? Like this could be true it could be what do you think they found her not guilty not guilty acquitted hmm. of all charges shut up Free everything to go like she just got a speeding ticket like she right. just <laughs> not even didn't even have to pay a fine i mean i guess she had to pay the lawyer what? When the verdict was read, it seemed like the only people in that courtroom who thought Candy was not guilty were the 12 jurors, the only people whose opinions actually mattered. Where's the court of public an opinion on this thing?
0: <laughs> Wait a second, I am shocked. Mhm. I love how she made it sound like an axe accident. Oh, come on. I've been waiting to drop that one.
1: Oh, have you? Have you had that stored in your back (laughs) pocket this whole time? Wait, what does Alan think about all of this? And Pat. Where are you at, Pat? Well, Alan doesn't have anything to do with uh, candy anymore. In fact, Alan. Mm. Was he sad? (laughs) He was sad, right? Because he's sending all these people.
0: Wait, now that did he send candy over or just Pat? Did he send Candy to check to see if his wife was home? Neither of them.
1: No, he oh, just called just the neighbors. Candy. Yeah, and he told Candy she offered to go check, and he said, "No, no, don't.
0: Yep, yeah,
1: please." Right after Candy killed Betty, she washed the blood off of her. Some places said at, even at Betty's house. Then she went to the church, had lunch with the kids, taught a scripture lesson, took her kids to go shopping for Father's Day cards. No word on if Elisa ever made it to that swim lesson or got any peppermints. Well, I actually know that. So I'm going (gasps) to tell you. Where are they now? So the following information I found on a maybe a Dallas Morning News article, but the article had been posted in a like Google forum thing and i couldn't find the original article but i think it was in an article and this is very interesting so i would like the credibility
0: rating of this is 40 40 percent
1: right but i really i i do believe that it's true i fact checked as much of it as i could you know i mean i'm talking i was on facebook okay (laughs) like (laughs) all right this is really why I was so hard on Alan earlier. It's not really about his affair. I don't really, uh, obviously, like, I'm not Betty. I don't care. Like, it's not my business. I do. That's
0: like the only time that
1: two women are fighting over a man in horn room glasses. Uh, Accurate. Yes. So Alan actually remarried three months later (gasps) to a woman named Elaine Clift, who apparently was incredibly abusive to the girls. She would withhold food as punishment. She made Elisa at 10 years old. So there was this book written about this whole thing. I did not read it. (laughs) It got time. But it detailed the affair in detail. It detailed the murder. This woman made 10-year-old Elisa read that book chapter by chapter. Give her a summary after every chapter. I'm sorry. Why? I hate this woman. Of the book detailing her dad's affair and her mother's murder. Yeah. What's her name?
0: Uh, Elaine left. I'm going to mm-hmm. troll her on Twitter.
1: Mm-hmm. Ew. Uh. Once the girl showed up to a court date over grandparents' visitation rights uh, with Betty's parents and Bethany had tufts of her hair pulled out. <gasps> The grandparents were furious, and they ended up adopting the girls and taking them back to Kansas with them. The girls haven't really seen their father since. Hell yes. Yeah. He moved to California with Elaine, but they have since gotten divorced. Their grandfather said that he once said to Alan, you don't show any remorse. And Alan said, it didn't bother me much. We weren't getting along anyway. What doesn't bother you much? The murder of your wife? By your ex-girlfriend? Yeah. That doesn't like do anything and, for you. And I'm like, I'm like, what about all that marriage encounter BS, Alan? I thought you guys were so close now. Once the girls were settled with their grandparents, they really started to thrive. There are still wounds from their childhood, obviously, but it seems that this was a really great nurturing environment for them. Elisa even became president of her class and a cheerleader, and it seems like they were really able to have the best lives they possibly could have under mm-hmm. these. Terrible circumstances. But I do have a little. Uh, where are we now? You're. I mean, yes, tell me. Because- Can you get ready for this? Guess no. We're Candy Montgomery, now using her maiden name of Candace Wheeler. She is not married to Pat anymore. They got divorced. She's in Dawsonville, Georgia, okay. working as IHOP, a therapist.
0: Uh, She's a therapist.
1: Is that allowed? She's a- therapist in Georgia. She's not a convicted felon. She was acquitted of all charges. No, I know, but like... <laughs> but like, she did it,
0: though. Like... What do I'm you think wondering. of
1: that? What do you think of... Do you think... Do you think
0: that it was self Like, I just assume that if I go to a therapist,
1: she they are killed anybody? A murderer. <laughs> but like... That's not a safe assumption to make <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You cannot uh, think that. I can know. Can I review her on LinkedIn? I think it's crazy. What, what do you think? Do you think that Betty really came at her with a axe and just wouldn't let yeah. her leave and she was forced to kill her in self-defense? Okay. So I was thinking about this because when
0: you were expl- – when I was like, oh, Candy did it, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, obviously there's motive, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, there's also a motive, though, for Betty to try and kill Candy.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: like, there's motive both ways. So then I was kind of like, "Uh, what does it for me, though, is like, would I feel differently if Candy killed her with the axe? Like, you know, there's one or two, like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, hacks. Mm-hmm. That sounds terrible. And then it's in self-defense, mm-hmm. which I know doesn't align with what I've said previously. Like, when we talked about the Blue-Eyed Butcher episode and this woman is, like, being abused. And so she just, like, really lashes out and that's what they're trying to
1: say that's what they're trying to say is that this is a similar situation because she had childhood trauma that caused her to snap and i don't know i i think that this is different from susan Wright because i don't think candy had any right to put the brunt of her hate her feeling of resentment and hatred onto betty yeah. When Susan did have every right to put that onto yeah, her abuser. You're right. Like, you're, she, she's attacking her abuser. That makes me feel better, so thank you. <laughs> Candy, yeah, was having an affair with her friend's husband right. for seven months. And then go kills. The and family. just, like, felt fine about it. You know, threw, threw Betty a baby shower and all this stuff. And and then. Which mm. I think could be cause for Betty to be more pissed. Like, I would be more
0: pissed if someone's having an affair with my husband, and not just like, oh, it's some random, I'm more pissed that it's my friend that's from our church that's throwing me a baby shower. Like, I am more angry about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I just really don't know. I am Either just- way, regardless of if if it was Betty or Candy who initiated it, either way, I don't believe Candy should be out. And especially not out providing guidance and support to
1: other human beings. (laughs) Yes. That I am firm in that belief. I just can't believe that with this defense, a jury in 1980 convicted her not guilty, but not Susan Wright? Self-defense? I guess because in this case, it really was in the moment, you know, like in the moment she was going to die if she didn't defend herself. Okay. Yeah. What about the kids? Okay, so uh, apparently Alan has both daughters as friends on his Facebook account. I really tried to confirm this, but oh, I'm about to couldn't find him. He now has set strict privacy rules, so sure. he currently lives in Eastport, Maine, with his third wife, Lindy McClellan Gore. I'm like, get out, Lindy, get out. While Who can? are all these women marrying this guy? Yeah, I need to see what he looks like.
0: Did you tell me when this um, article was written? Like. Was the article like 1984?
1: Yeah. Oh, the article was? Okay. Yeah. Before I was born. <laughs> Elisa Gore, who goes by Lisa Harder now, is married to a successful building contractor and they live in Kansas with their two sons. And Lisa Bethany Hart- is Elisa like L <S-L-> I S A. Yeah. And Elisa is just with an A, but she goes by yeah. Lisa now. Bethany Gore married in, she got married in 2012 and they live in Las Vegas. Who is that? Bethany. Attorney Don Crowder committed suicide in 1999 after getting a DUI. Some say he'd also been tormented for defending Candy Wheeler, but I really hope that's not the case because even though I definitely do think that Candy got away with murder, I also think that defense attorneys have a very important place in our legal system mm-hmm. and that every person is entitled to the best defense they can get. Obviously, I. My- you know, I don't think money should be a factor there. And the fact that it is, is a big problem with the system. But this wasn't even a lawyer really familiar with murder trials. It was like his first murder. And he gave her a good defense, which he did his job, you know, so I hope that's not that did not have a factor in that. But it it was sad. And that is the story of the murder of Betty Gore.
0: I don't know. I'm really sad by that. I also don't know if it's just because I love how what's bothering me the most in this is not necessarily the murder, but the affair. And maybe it's because we're watching all this stuff right now on the astronauts, the Mercury 7, and they were all having affairs because they basically became famous overnight. And I'm just, like, very... What astronaut? What are you talking about? What? Um, You know that all I'm basically allowed to watch in my house is space, anything related to space. I've watched every space TV show, every <laughs> space movie. I, if I have to watch one more space thing, I wear NASA shirts, like... And... There's this show right now. It's a new one. We just started it. On episode two. <laughs> it's on Disney Plus, The Right Stuff, and it's about the Mercury 7, the like first seven app, at- the test pilots from the military they took to like turn into astronauts. You know what I'm talking about? You obviously know what I'm talking about. No. Alan Shepard, John Glenn. Oh, those guys. Wait, they all know, just like uh, had affairs with each other? Every single one of them had an affair. No, not with each other, but like had affairs with. So like the oh,
1: whole- Oh, oh my God. That's crazy. So we've been
0: watching all this stuff and every single astronaut's cheating on his wife. And so I'm very much like... Because they got famous. All right, peeps and creeps. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So find us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at CreepersPod. Not on TikTok. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) At CreepersPod. And you can also email us any feedback, case suggestions, or, you know, just random
1: compliments at creeperspod at gmail.com. Also, a huge thank you to everyone who has left a review on Apple Podcasts. They help us out in such a big way. So if you liked this episode and you have an iPhone or know someone that does, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops. Bye, peeps and creeps.